Welcome to BIV Today, we're the daily business news podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Tyler Orton. On today's show, the executive director of the Vancouver International Film Festival, Jacqueline Dupuis, she joins us to discuss how her organization is shepherding efforts to make the BC film industry more sustainable. And later on, we're talking to Peter Anders from the UBC Esports Association about the largest gaming tournament to hit Vancouver. That's the International Dota 2 Championship. A range of innovative, disruptive technologies have emerged to provide financial services and systems that conduct transactions and aim for greater efficiency in the sector. Join us September 13th for BIV's FinTech panel, where we're going to focus on helping small and medium-sized businesses make informed decisions in this new landscape. Now, for more information on this and our other events, go to BIV.com slash events. The Vancouver International Film Festival is expanding its first sustainable production forum to recognize leaders in the film industry who promote sustainable production. VIF is currently calling for nominees in three sustainable production excellence awards categories, and they will be recognized at the forum this October. Talking to us today, it's Jacqueline Dupuis. She is executive director at VIF. She joins us now over the phone. Jacqueline, thanks for joining us on the show today. Of course. Happy to be here. I was saying before we got started, you still sound like you're getting a full night's sleep. Uh, but uh, you're you're gearing up in all of this. And how? where did the idea come from for sustainable production in terms of uh, trying to recognize it? Yeah, sustainable production. I mean, it's um, certainly something that's been in the ecosystem and happening here in Vancouver for quite a while and a focus of the local screen-based industries. In fact, at uh, Creative BC, there's a... Um, a program called um, Real Green that's been running for many, many, many years. And they've been sort of driving the sustainability agenda forward. Um, we worked with with them as well as Xena um, uh, Harris, who's a, a local sustainability expert. She actually works on set with productions to implement sustainable practices. And so we worked with Xena to put the uh, forum together along with the support of Real Green and um, other industry stakeholders. And what we discovered was that we had the opportunity here in Vancouver to really put forward um, ourselves, being Vancouver and, and local screen-based industry, as the center of excellence for sustainable film and television production. And so we've really been focused on that agenda and, uh, and moving that forward. And so far, it's been really successful. We're heading into our third year this year. I had the opportunity last year to moderate a Real Green panel and a very fascinating discussion about the efforts that we've seen just over the last, I would say, you know, 10, 15 years and how much it's changed. Tell us a little bit about why it's so much more important for these sustainable productions to be going forward, especially in a city like Vancouver. Right. Well, there's a great quote from um, uh, Chris Carter, who uh, we, we awarded the Industry Builder Award in 2015. And he's, you know, of course, shot here for many, many years with the X-Files. And he said, you know, literally, we uh, create, we make a, a luxury product. And in, in so doing, we have to be responsible and do the best that we possibly can to um, mitigate our impact on the environment and, and you know, basically um, saving our world. And so that really put it in perspective for me. That, you know, we could, if we were, you know, really cared about the environment, we could probably live without films. But thankfully, you know, the industry recognizes what a what a wasteful um, 
uh, ecosystem it can be and that that can be uh, improved. And where we're at right now is we're seeing, you know, most productions implement sustainable practices across the board, and that's great. But um, what we're seeing is a a need for a real, literally a culture shift, you know, something you know, the, there needs to be an agreement that we're just going to shift our culture to make this, you know, a mainstay going forward. And so that's what this year's, um, one of the themes of this year's uh, event is going to be transforming culture. And we really think that, you know, that big kind of next shift needs to happen at this point. Some of our listeners probably wouldn't be aware of, um, of what is a sustainable practice in, uh, in say film, uh, film production. Uh, Give me a couple of examples about something that that really makes a bit of a change. Well, I mean, waste is waste diversion is a big one, as is carbon um, carbon diversion. Uh, we're seeing a lot, and X Files is such a great example. And uh, well, in the first year of of the Sustainable Production Forum, they presented a case study that they had done on the on the X Files reboot, um, and they talked about. I think they were able to achieve eighty um, percent waste diversion. Um, and they developed a way to recycle foam. And in some of these shoots that require these, you know, massive sets, mm-hmm. um, and X-Files is a great example of, you know, literally where we have foam spaceships. <laughs> um, and so when you can reduce uh, waste and, you know, big, big, I, I, I guess, materials like that, we're, you know, really starting to change the game. We're seeing things happening like um, uh, using more sustainable wood products. Um, you know, recycling so many, so many of the things from the set. Uh, and as I said, um, a lot uh, reducing carbon emissions through things like using um, hybrid vehicles and, you know, so on and so forth. So um, lots and lots and lots of efforts being made. And I, I really have to give the studios props because they continue to find ways to implement practices on, on sustainable production on each of their shows. Does it help that now that we have a its own sustainable domestic industry uh, that that continuity then makes a lot of companies start to reflect on their practices and they as they mature they begin to recognize that this is uh, this is one of their imperatives absolutely and I think the other thing that we're seeing happening especially in in here in BC is uh, a number of companies focused on developing technology that helps support sustainable practices so, generators that are solar powered and and um and that kind of thing and we've been able to showcase some of those companies at the um at the forum and so i think the more that we're able to offer up tools to uh to the studios and to the producers of of um of locally shot film and television the more we're able to drive that agenda yeah, uh, I know Portable Electric, that's one of the generator companies that's been uh, buzzing around here in Vancouver very recently. Right. And I, I think one of the arguments some people might make is like, well, sustainability, isn't that just more expensive? But isn't there an economic argument to make here that it actually would make sense from a business perspective to get a lot more of these sustainable practices going on in production? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, and, and as you know, that's been discussed at the forum that in fact, um, there is a strong business case for sustainability may not pay off, you know, in the short term, but it does certainly pay off in the long term. And in fact, in some of the case studies that we've, we've looked at, we have seen uh, overall savings. So, I, you know, I, I mean, as I said, it, it really makes sense. It's just really the culture that needs to shift around it to actually, I think, you know, move the agenda forward. Do crews now have 
somebody who is almost like a chief yeah. sustainability officer kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not all shows, obviously, but I mean, that's what Dina does for, you know, you know, for a living when she's not doing SPF for fun. Um, she works on on set. She's hired by um, by the studios or by the production specifically to work on set, to work alongside the crew to implement sustainable practices. Hmm. So most of them have, if they don't have somebody, you know, coming in directly from the studio, they have an expert like Zena coming in to work with them on on that. And most of the studios, I have to say, actually measure all of this. So there'll always be either case studies or reports that are generated from the shoots that talk about, you know, specifically um, how they were able to, um, uh, the impacts, I guess, of implementing sustainable practices on the shoot. Yeah. I I know that um, in things like opera and theater, they're very used now to reusing sets. In fact, uh, you know, I know that the opera, there, there are trucks driving around North America that have all these opera sets and they simply rent the truck back into their city for, you know, a few weeks at a time. Are we getting to that point with, with the studios where they're, they're being able to reuse full sets or, or, you know, rooms and things like that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, they started with the basics, recycle, reuse, reclaim and now we're seeing things you know going to that next level of of the actual types of products that they're using and other ways to um to reduce the the footprint mm-hmm. the last few years I've, I've had the pleasure of going to vif for the business symposiums that have been going on and of course this is a business program tell us a little bit beyond this sustainability a uh, sustainable production forum what can we expect for people that are interested on the business side of the film industry here in vancouver yeah, thanks for asking. That's a really great question because we focus on ensuring that our industry programming uh, really reflects what's happening here in our industry um, and is is impactful and meaningful to uh, the folks lo- working in the local industry. And so that's you know one of the reasons that su- the Sustainable Production Forum was created because sustainability is so important to Vancouver and to the folks working here in the industry. Um, and so in terms of other industry programming, um, one of the other, um, I guess, uh, priorities that we've seen um, or, sh- or shifts or trends that we've seen is the growth in the music industry. And so we developed a conference called BIF AMP, which brings together uh, the local music community with, uh, with the film industry to develop more opportunities for local musicians to work on uh, film and television productions. We kicked that off last year and it was very, very successful. Um, And so we're going to um, literally amp that up this year and expand that from one day to two days. Uh, And then of course, uh, from the, with the emerging filmmakers and you know, what we're seeing here is, you know, going back to the business of film and television is Vancouver is a really special ecosystem because while that while we, you know, do, we're, we're more of a service production center, as you know, than a creative production center. But the people, the creators that do stay here and work in our ecosystem have the opportunity to work on the service for service productions to hone their skills and put those skills to work to making their own projects. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing some really high quality projects here. And so um, we focus on um, the emerging filmmakers bringing in um, 
folks that can work with them on kind of business development opportunities, professional development opportunities. And so we do that through Totally Indie Day, um, which again is focused at uh, toward uh, emerging filmmakers, um, but really helping uh, you know them um, be inspired and bring their skill sets up to continue to work on their own projects. I feel like I have to ask this question, but I know festival directors feel like I'm asking them to choose among their children. Um, Your eyes are probably bleary from watching film in recent months in order to uh, put together the the program. But uh, okay, Jacqueline, is there a movie that I have to see this year? Hmm. Is there a movie you have to see? Well, uh, okay, I'm going to go local on this one because you know, such an interesting film. You've probably heard about it already, but um, we have a film in the lineup uh, in our BC Spotlight called Finding Big Country. Oh, yeah, about the basketball player. Right, yes. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. That's a blast to the past right there. Oh, the- yeah, yeah, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever happened wow. to Bryant Reeves. Bryant Reeves, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever happened to that guy? Whatever happened to that guy? So we're going to tell you in the film. So they found him, they tracked him down, and the story is, is about just that. So that's, I think, one of the films at the festival that... Um, it's our equivalent of Finding Sugar Man, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. We're yeah. going to use that. We're going to steal that from you. Oh, uh, it's okay. <laughs> that's social. All right. all right, you owe me a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> well, excellent. Hey, Jacqueline, always a pleasure. We look forward to chatting with you more as we approach the date. But for now, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. That's Jacqueline Dupuis, Executive Director of the Vancouver International Film Festival. And that's it for our show today. Thanks for listening to BIV Today. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and of course at BIV.com where you can find more business news. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. The International Dota 2 Championships hit Rogers Arena for the first time ever, August 20th through 25th, all next week, and tens of thousands of gaming fans are expected to come out and watch some of the best players in the world face off in a multi-day esports tournament. Joining us is to explain why these gaming competitions, which generate millions in tourism dollars, just can't be ignored any longer. It's Peter Anders from the UBC Esports Association. Peter, thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, help bring um, a newbie into this event here in a way that where you can describe the spectacle of the arena and uh, and e play. Help us, help us with this. Sure. Yeah. So, um, Dota Two is a little bit like a fantasy version of Capture the Flag mixed with like chess. Mm-hmm. So you have two teams of five players. And the teams pick individual characters with unique abilities and traits, strengths and weaknesses. And the goal is to get to the enemy's side and destroy their main base. And in doing so, there are a whole bunch of different elements of clashing and battling enemies and trying to collect resources and things like that that make the game very complex and have a multidimensional feel. And so the idea behind the international is that once a year, the top 18 teams in the world that play this game come together in Rogers Arena this year and compete against each other to see who is really the best at this game. 
And in previous years, it's been down in Seattle's Key Arena. So it's that arena yeah. atmosphere, which I think is really intriguing to some of the newbies that, that may not really wrap their heads around what this brings to the table here. Tell us a little bit about kind of the atmosphere that we can expect if we're able to go to Rogers Arena, check this out on, on mammoth screens and uh, and all that jazz, I guess. Yeah, so the environment in the arena is really kind of phenomenal because you have thousands and thousands of people who are really enthusiastic about this game. They have their favorite teams, their favorite players. They play the game a lot. They have all kinds of passions for the game. And so everyone just has this big common interest and common love for the game. And they kind of build each other up in terms of excitement. So when the professional players start to like walk on the stage, you hear huge uh, like roaring <laughs> cheers yeah. from the crowd. And during the game, everyone's like chanting their favorite team or like chanting the country that they're representing or something like that. It's just very exciting and a very close community. Can you get the same almost vicarious thrill as a spectator of the play that you can say from a sporting event where you're say, I don't know, you're, you're a hockey, you're a recreational hockey player and you're now watching the Canucks on the ice. Is it the same for something like Dota where you're, you know, you're, you're a player, but you're not in that caliber, but you're excited to watch a great player. I'd say that it's very similar. I think the kind of the one difference that I would point out is mm -hmm. that Oftentimes with sporting events, the spectators are, um, not every spectator is playing the sport, which is completely fine, but it's just a little bit of a different environment. Whereas when you walk into the international, you walk into Rogers Arena, every single person there has played a lot of Dota 2. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe a couple exceptions, but overall, everyone's played the game, everyone knows the game quite well. And... I'd say that, again, they're very similar, but that makes a little bit of a difference in terms of like how you have conversations with people and like what their opinions are and just how excited they are. So how is Vancouver doing right now when it comes to this eSports community? I, I know that we had a big tournament at Pacific Coliseum not too long ago, I, I believe sometime last year, the, the league. And tell me a little bit about maybe how that sparked interest in bringing the international up here for this year. Yeah, so Vancouver has actually been known, at least since I've been aware of it, um, as a very esports dominant city. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are a couple of reasons why. One of them being that there are a lot of these gaming cafes, which are kind of like smaller shops where you can walk in and they have computers and setups and you can pay like five to ten dollars for an hour just to sit down and play some games with a bunch of people around you. And so that kind of builds up the sense of like competitive video games and esports and a community with people who otherwise probably wouldn't know about esports. And so um, Vancouver being known for esports made it much easier for the international to come here. And I think there were a couple different reasons with like visas and such that it was easier to hold it in Canada. And so uh, Valve ended up deciding to try out Rogers Arena this year. I know that uh, the NBA in particular and the NFL, 
uh, to some degree, of course, have had their own competitions and their own teams. In fact, you know, the, the major league teams actually have their own employees in all of this. You know, they're, they're, they're really kind of uh, enlisting people to be their stars in all of it. Um, is Vancouver in a position to be able to do that now with, say, with uh, even with an e-sport like hockey? Um, it's, so that's a little bit of an interesting question because at least with Dota 2, um, the way that teams are organized, it's much less city-based or even like, it's not really location-based. Okay. Um, and the organizers kind of work independently and pick out players from say North America or from all of Europe or all of China or something like that. Um, however, there's another game, Overwatch, which is trying to create this city-based team co- competition that's very similar to something like the NBA. Mm-hmm. And so that's been working very well for them. And in the future, we may see other esports try to adapt that same kind of methodology of creating a tournament. But at least for now, I'd say that it may take a couple of years to get there. I think what we need is maybe a, a Dota 2 Vancouver jersey or something like that to kind of spark <laughs> that same sort of uh, hometown feel. That yeah. Maybe we can get the flying V there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think Jack White couldn't even get the flying V. Uh, yeah, I saw on Twitter that he's trying to get everybody to get on board with the flying V uh, yeah, on we're, Sunday. We're stuck with those skates. <laughs> those well, well. 50th anniversary skates. But if we take a look at maybe what's going to generate a lot of interest locally, Peter, uh, we just found out earlier this month that Richmond's going to be home to Canada's first ever esports arena. Tell us a little bit, like, what does an esports arena entail? Why is this a big deal for a community like Metro Vancouver? Yeah, so um, having an esports arena is a couple of different things. Um, the first one is that you have a lot more competitions and tournaments, um, kind of like the international, probably slightly smaller scale just because of how massive the international is, that will be held in Vancouver. Because to have an arena means that you have a place to offer and a place where you can guarantee that people will come and watch. And that's really what tournament posters and organizers are looking for. So it means that we'll have more professional scene in Vancouver. And to have more professional scene means that more amateur people will get into the games. And if they're able to compete in the arena for more casual tournaments or kind of build up the community that way, that means that esports as a whole will be growing much more rapidly. This is, though, uh, a pretty interesting, uh, not a departure, but, but really an extension of what it means in this in, in our territory here in terms of gamers and players. What, what do you think, is it possible to have a sustainable eSports arena? I want to say yes. Mm-hmm. I think that right now it's, it's definitely an interesting question because the, um, like the level of income that's, being drawn by the arena isn't very easy to like predict or chart out because this really hasn't been done too often before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that esports has a massive following, and um, the other thing is that not a majority, but there's 
a fair number of people who are esports fans and have a fair amount of money because one of the things with playing competitive video games is that you need an expensive computer and sometimes games cost money. And so it often draws a slightly higher like economic bracket. Yeah. And so there's definitely a group of people who would be very happy to pay for expensive tickets to see a competition or entry fees to tournaments to play in a big arena and things like that. But at the same time, without having anything to really go off over and look at as here's how it had gone in the past, it's definitely something where no one can really say for certain. It's like having spectators at either, what, a poker tournament or a bingo hall? Or like, like, I've never I'm, been a spectator. I'm, I'm trying. Yeah, hall. no, no. It's just I'm trying trying to draw the analogy correctly here because you know that's the exciting part of this is that you could actually build something that would be a permanent structure that yeah. would have a few thousand people every week. But I also wonder, it, like, it would have to be multi-purpose because uh, I've like heard like you know comedians that I follow they they're saying I'm playing at this esports arena you know at so and so date. So I, I think that there would be avenues for them to generate additional revenue if. You know, they're not having esports tournaments yeah. every single day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I mean, just having a large space with a lot of seating in a good location can provide all different kinds of revenue from different forms of entertainment or activities. So there are definitely other things that they can do. But mm -hmm. I'm assuming that they want to get their name out as an esports arena. So it's interesting to see how they'll do it, and I'm definitely looking forward to see what they do. So what do you think the championships next week will do for Vancouver in terms of its international reputation? I think it'll draw a lot of people towards not just Dota specifically, but esports, because it's... So I went to the International in 2016, and one of the things that I noticed was that once I left the arena... Um, the Dota community was still very much in Seattle. So if I go to a restaurant, people would be, everyone would be like wearing Dota 2 t-shirts. <laughs> and like when I took an Uber to the arena, the uh, driver was talking to me about how like, oh, I was talking to this other guy about Dota and here are these cool things that I know now. And tell me more about it. And so it seems like when I was there in 2016, a lot of the Seattle community was just interested to know more. Yeah, And I think that that interest is able to grow a massive player base mm -hmm. because you get people who have an idea of what Dota is and then they can tell their friends, they can try it out themselves and you just get new players into the game. And I think that Vancouver will experience something very similar where they'll see all of these very passionate, happy people talking about this game and they'll want to kind of be included and learn more. Just, just a heads up, you might be waiting for your Uber um, not just not just this tournament, but maybe next year as well and the year after. Well, Peter, absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good luck. You're playing. Yeah, are you playing you. next week? I, I am not playing next. Week. No. Okay. Who, who are you cheering but, for, though? Is there a team that you have in mind? Um, my favorite team is Fnatic. Um, they are being coached by a player called AUI2000, who went to UBC, which is the college that I'm going to. Oh, there we so, are. So. I'm really excited to see how they're going to do. So it could be a student of yours, Kurt. Um, might be. <laughs> <laughs> Given some of the attention span that I've had in the classroom, <laughs> I think they might be there. But, but uh, so there is a hometown hero, huh? 
Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, very exciting. Well, nice. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much. That's Peter Anders of the UBC Esports Association. And that's it for BIV today. Thank you for listening. Make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave a review. Make it, uh, of course, four or five stars. Let's not not be stingy here. And be sure to find our stories in print and online at BIV.com. We'll talk to you next time. 